Hello, my name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. Join me on A Hateful Homicide, a true crime podcast dedicated to telling the stories regarding the murders of transgender, gender non-binary, and gender diverse community members in the United States and abroad. This is A Hateful Homicide. 911, what's your emergency? Yeah. transgender woman has been shot and killed in North Baltimore, Alpha. In the U.S., trans women of color have a life expectancy of just 35 years. This happens on a daily. Another one of my friends got killed right up the street from here. These cases are true. The victims are real and their voices matter. This is A Hateful Homicide. The murder of Natalia Smut Lopez, a senseless slain in San Jose, Friday, April 23rd, 2021, San Jose, California. Warning, the following episode you're about to listen to may contain audio evidence of misgendering. Listening discretion is advised. This inclusive community district is kicking off a weekend of arts and activism. This comes exactly one week after the stabbing death of a beloved trans woman. ABC 7 News reporter Amanda Del Castillo shows you how Natalia Smoot Lopez is being memorialized. Every stroke, part of a story. And for those visiting the Q Community District in downtown San Jose, this newly unveiled mural tells one of LGBTQ culture, history, and for some, a level of heartache. Depicted in great detail, the face of 24-year-old Natalia Smut Lopez, a transgender woman who was fatally stabbed one week ago Friday. Natalia is definitely somebody that was really um, a coveted part of our community, really a gem in our community, and certainly within our um, trans people of color community here locally in the South Bay. Nathan Swoboda is the president of the Project More Foundation behind the artwork, an 864 square foot space touched by local queer artists and community members. This is a visual representation that we respect, we honor, and we love all people, including those of our trans families. For Smut's family, having her memorialized is making a difference. To know that I can always just come down here and see my sister's face and to know that everyone gets to to relive her wonderful bubbly self. Vanessa Singh says her sister's passion and vibrancy was contagious, sure to be the topic of conversation as the district kicks off a weekend of art and activism. We have people in our community that are victims of violence, of senseless violence. Even in grief, Smut's friends and family sharing stories of the captivating drag artist who built a community in the South Bay. So if anyone can embody that or get any message, to love yourself and just to believe in who you truly know you are. In San Jose, I'm Amanda Del Castillo, ABC 7 News. It's Friday, April 23rd, 2021, in the city of San Jose, California. It would be the home where Afro-Latina, transgender female, Natalia Smut-Lopez would reside 
And around 2.30 a.m. on that morning, her partner, 22-year-old cisgender Latino male, Elijah Segura Cruz, called 911 stating that he had discovered his girlfriend badly stabbed. This would lead law enforcement out into the Milpitos home, the Hillview Crest Apartments. Part of the Project Room Key journey, Natalia Smut Lopez had just moved into her apartment several months prior to her hateful homicide when the 911 call rang out on that Friday morning at 2.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. This would lead the city of San Jose for the next several years seeking justice in her hateful homicide. This case, my audience, welcome back throughout our mid-season break. Thank you all so much as um, we get back into season four, episode eight of A Hateful Homicide, A Senseless Slain in San Jose. Natalia Smut Lopez, an incredible Afro-Latina from the ancestry of Afro-Caribbean as well as Puerto Rico. This beautiful 24-year-old sister, granddaughter, and daughter and partner was abruptly murdered around 2 a.m. on Friday, April 23rd of 2021. The Project MORE, an incredible community, queer and trans community organization out in the South Bay area, Nathan Savordia, a good friend of hers, was really instrumental in leading the calls for justice for Natalia Smut-Lopez, as well as her older sister, Vanessa C. Her paternal grandmother, Dorothy Lopez, would talk about how she loved her granddaughter. Born in December of 1996, Natalia had a life full of optimism, hope, and bubbliness a renowned drag artist who was auditioning for RuPaul's Drag Race just several months prior to her hateful homicide. This not only let the transgender community as well as the non-binary, intersex, and indigenous communities seeking justice, but also we talk about things such as income, race, and then the ability to navigate. Natalia Smut Lopez was no different than any other queer and trans person of color navigating in the state of California. At the time of her hateful homicide in April of 2021, this was a little over a year, 13 months after the COVID pandemic, Natalia found herself not only unhoused, but also trying to seek employment. Because of the fact that the pandemic had caused the state of quarantining and businesses to be closed, Natalia, again, a world-renowned, or at least Northern California and aspirations of world-renownedness, drag artist, had to seize her employment status of being a drag artist. She did do some local performances online via Zoom, but it wasn't enough to pay the bills. And one of the things that Natalia was working towards was, again, auditioning for the upcoming season for RuPaul's Drag Race. As we go through this case, my audience, we are going to talk about the history of the drag culture. One of the things that's really important that um, so many times I think within our like queer community is that we correlate drag, the artistry of drag, just with um, our cis gay men and the performance base of it. However, um, recent history and history has shown that our trans community also too love to participate in the culture of drag. We saw that with incredible um, Milk Got Milk um, 
who was the first trans man on RuPaul's Drag Race. And then also we heard um, in a couple episodes prior from Peppermint, who was an openly proud black trans woman and also competitor um, on RuPaul's Drag Race. So we've seen this now entry ray for our trans community to be part of the drag community as well. And now Natalia was no exception. This case garnered a lot of attention, not only because Natalia had auditioned for RuPaul's Drag Race and that itself just added attention to the case, but then you have this dual intersectionality of race and income and just thriving. Natalia's journey was hers through and through, and she was very inspirational with helping others. Described as bubbly and outgoing and energetic, she had a really full passion of life. Around the beginning of 2021, um, around New Year's Day to be exact, Natalia met 22-year-old cisgender Latino male, Elijah Sagaro Cruz. The two had met at a New Year's party and seemed to instantly click. Around that same time, Natalia was getting ready to move into her apartment over in the Milpita San Jose area, which included the Southern Bay area. These apartments, again, were based on income and also your, your status um, in terms of how you identified. So it was very specific um, for Natalia's truth. Unfortunately, Elijah took advantage of that. He moved in and the two seemed to be okay, I guess you could say, for a newly domesticated relationship. But unfortunately, um, within three months of meeting and moving in together, Natalia would be found stabbed to death, her throat slit, and her body deeply, deeply traumatized with sharp force injuries, leaving her clinging to life. When the San Jose Police Department and law enforcement team, as well as the crime scene analysts, arrived at the Hillcrest Apartments in the Milpitas area of San Jose, California, they walked into a crime scene of bloodshed, Elijah covered in blood. Um, he still had the knife next to Natalia's body. When they asked him what happened, he stated that he doesn't remember. He blacked out and when he woke up or came to the reality that his partner of three months was laying in her own apartment, the law enforcement immediately took him in. This was his confession. And as they began to go through the apartment and investigate, they were able to go through Natalia's phone and found a series of uncomfortable text messages between the two. A case of paranoia, jealousy, and also just the inability to want to communicate left these two in this predicament that we have now, which is the hateful homicide of Natalia Smut Lopez. But first, before we go through a little bit more of this, my audience, I want to take a moment and explain to you why San Jose, California was the homeland for Natalia Smith-Lopez. There's a great reason over in the Santa Clara County region. Um, it's a beautiful area and it's also just part of that whole Silicon Valley vibe. But I wanted to take a moment for you all to hear why people loved San Jose, California, and one of the reasons why Natalia Smut Lopez stayed there. Hey, California, USA, also known as Silicon Valley. Now this video will provide 10 reasons why people love San Jose.
San Jose, California, USA. Population around 1 million. Now just for context, we have a map here. We have circled San Jose. San Jose is one hour from San Francisco. Now this video will provide 10 reasons why people love San Jose. People love San Jose because of Municipal Rose Garden. Established in 1927, the Municipal Rose Garden has blossomed to become one of the most visited attractions in the city. Rows and rows of roses define much of the five-acre park in the middle of a lovely city neighborhood with peak blooming occurring throughout the month of May. Open to the public seven days of the week with free admission, the Municipal Rose Garden is popular for strolling, picnicking, and family photo shoots. People love San Jose because of the Rosicrucian Egyptian Museum, housing the largest collection of authentic ancient Egyptian artifacts in Western North America. Rosicrucian Egyptian Museum is popular for day trips and school visits. Spanning ancient Egyptian daily life to the afterlife, the exhibits at the museum range from uncovered jewelry and housewares to tomb tours and hieroglyphic examples. New at the museum, the Alchemy exhibit is the first of its kind in the United States and features a full-size Alchemy Lab reproduction. People love San Jose because of the downtown. The largest Bay Area city and third largest city in California, the downtown district of San Jose is always buzzing with activity, blending modern cultural appeal with historic architecture. Downtown San Jose is filled with sidewalk cafes, boutique storefronts, and community institutions, including the Tech Interactive and the San Jose Museum of Art. People love San Jose because of Santana Row. A bustling mix of shopping, dining, and foot traffic, San Jose Row is a premier commercial and entertainment district within the Mediterranean Outdoor Shopping Plaza. Name brand stores like Kate Spade and Gucci line the pedestrian walkways of Santana Row. Next to well-reviewed restaurants purveying everything from fine dining Italian to casual street tacos. A great center space within Santana Row, Santana Park is a manicured green space with a local ice cream shop nearby. People love San Jose because of the Plaza de Cesar Chavez. The center attraction of downtown San Jose is Plaza de Cesar Chavez, also known as Cesar Chavez Park. Spanning two colorful acres amid concrete surroundings, the park is a popular place to hang out with shade-producing trees, park benches, and a general hum of activity. Another reason Cesar Chavez Park is so popular is its proximity to downtown museums. People love San Jose because of the Winchester Mystery House. The Winchester Mystery House was the past residence of Sarah Winchester, widow of William Winchester, and heiress to the massive Winchester fortune from the production of the Winchester Repeating Rifle, also known as the gun that won the West. What makes this popular tourist attraction so mysterious is the renovation choices made by Sarah Winchester. Local lore attributes the false stairs, misleading doors, and 160 different rooms as a measure to evade paranormal spirits stemming from her family's past. And as you could hear my audience, the city of San Jose has multiple, multiple tourist attractions an hour south of San Francisco. And this was the home of Natalia Smut Lopez and the entire Lopez family. She lived specifically over in the Milpitas area of San Jose, California, since she was age two. One of her childhood best friends, Kira Old, who talked about 
her love for the gardens, the Magnolia Gardens that was mentioned in the beginning, how she loved being able to go over to just different parts of San Jose and, and be bubbly and outgoing and just herself. And so again, Natalia Smell Lopez not only loved the city of San Jose, but she continued to make it her home. As the law enforcement have now taken Elijah Segaroa Cruz down to the San Jose Police Department. Captain John Torres again is in interviewing and interrogating him, wanting to understand exactly what happened and what caused this 22-year-old man who had this relationship and they were living together to ultimately um, stab his girlfriend multiple times. Well, Elijah started to open up a little bit. He wanted a lawyer, but he was willing to still talk with um, Captain John Torres of the San Jose Police Department. And he mentioned that, um, like as you could hear in the video at the very end about the sense of paranormal activity, he started to feel like that um, these spirits, that these these kind of unknown paranormal um, beings were calling out to him. As Captain John Torres is listening to Elijah Segaro Cruz rationalize what happened um, in regards to the hateful homicide of his girlfriend, 24-year-old Afro-Latina transgender woman, Natalia Smut-Lopez, you know, he felt like that Elijah was trying to create a self-defense, almost kind of mental health um, moment, um, insanity defense. And so as he was making note of this, he started to ask these very probing and prob, um, prodding questions, my audience. He wanted to know exactly like, when did the events take place? Was there any kind of um, triggering event prior to that? This was a Friday morning, like early Friday morning, um, two o'clock in the morning, 2.30 a.m. So this very precipitating factor of what led him to just do what he did. Um, Elijah stated that the two had um, had a disagreement and like in a lot of relationships, um, you know, certainly we all have been there, but I think the biggest piece for them, especially in the middle of the pandemic and um, the, the apartments that Natalia was in was income-based and they had these certain, um, you know, guidelines that you had to adhere to. And so that became a source of contention between the pair where um, Natalia, of course, wanted to um, keep the relationship going. But the reality was that due to um, the apartments that she was in, because they were part of this Project Room Key, which came with um, federal and state housing guidelines, it was becoming a little... Um, difficult for the two to remain living together without ultimately either Natalia getting called um, by the, the project room key social worker and or um, even just getting put out of the housing. And because Natalia, um, who was already navigating the pandemic and then also just trying to keep work as, as well as trying to figure out a new normal since she's not able to perform in the clubs and stuff with the pandemic, she knew that this apartment and this housing was very pivotal for her own safe space and her own well-being. So she was very adamant with Elijah that he was going to have to find um, new, a new place to stay. This left Elijah upset. Um, a good friend of Elijah's by the name of Antonio um, Santos talked about the fact that around 
the summer of 2020, just a few months into the pandemic, that Elijah um, had started to abuse um, crystal meth and, um, and prior to him even getting into a relationship with Natalia, that he was um, using meth really hard. He worked a little bit in construction here and there, but ultimately um, he um, was not able to maintain a job and or housing because of his addiction to crystal meth. So by New Year's of 2021, when he met Natalia, he was still kind of in the midst of clean and still using, but wanting to, I guess, get out of that, out of that, that behavior. And Natalia, known for her bubbly personality and seeing the good in others, and also was looking for love and, and hoping that it would find her too. I think the two just kind of became magnetic for each other in that moment. They needed each other and that led to maybe Natalia not realizing that him moving in was gonna risk her housing and then several months later prior to the hateful homicide as reality started to sink in that um that was against the guidelines for project room key in order for her to maintain her housing um this ultimately became a source of contention and then this also led to a fight and resulting in the hateful homicide where Natalia Smut Lopez was stabbed multiple times, her throat was slid, and then was left to bleed out in her living room in her Hillview Court apartments around 2.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on that Friday, April 23rd of 2021. As her family is now made aware, it's becoming early morning on that Friday, around 6.30 to be exact, her, um, her paternal grandmother, Dorothy Lopez, um, gets a knock at the door and is notified that uh, her 24-year-old granddaughter, who was born two days after Christmas, uh, was now, um, unfortunately, has succumbed to her injuries at the San Jose um, Hospital. The family rush over and go to the morgue and they identify Natalia Smut Lopez. Her sister, her older sister, Vanessa Singh, became a huge um, spokesperson and um, proponent as well as a good friend of hers from the Project More um, queer organization in San Jose, Nathaniel Saboria. Um, also, her really good friend, Kiera, uh, talked about her love for the drag history and her own gender journey, right? Natalia's gender journey, which began around the age of 16. Natalia knew who she was, and she was inspired by performers such as Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. And so some of her performances would be inspired, and even she would um, perform to those um, artists. She was also known for wearing this, like, smut choker kind of necklace too when she would perform and that's where the smut um, of the Natalia Smut Lopez came in and so it was really interesting to like learn this journey um, through others and as family members are reliving and they're coming to hold a vigil for Natalia later that same day which included over 100 people members from the drag artistry community uh, members from the northern bay area who had also auditioned and some had even been part of the RuPaul's Drag Race family came out to show their support for Natalia Smell Lopez. She was really met with a lot of love from her, her Black and Latin community, being Afro-Latina and Afro-Latinx. So she was really met with a lot of love and support um, in the San Jose area and beyond. As this is going on, Elijah Segarra Cruz's attorney arrives and Maria Chavez has a really um, 
you know, conversation, a deep conversation with her client. Um, he ultimately ceases the interview with Captain John Torres when she arrives. And um, based on later testimony, she talks about how he did, um, you know, basically say that it was like a drug-induced, fueled, raged um, response from when Natalia, who wanted her relationship to work with Elijah, but needed to also maintain her housing, um, this became a really just source of contention and he ultimately snapped this was no excuse but one of the things that um, his attorney Maria Chavez argued was was this first degree or second degree did he intentionally plan to murder his girlfriend of three months or was this something where he simply snapped as she was communicating with him she was picking up on the fact that this probably was going to be a second degree murder case according to her intake with him because of the fact that he did call 911 he did call um, law enforcement as soon as he committed the hateful homicide of his girlfriend so there was that to support that if it was premeditated and all those things that he would have tried to conceal and cover up and even at the very least um, hide her body as we heard in season um, four episode six um, with our incredible um, trans eastern european woman um, who was murdered in 2019 and so all of these things we know are very um, evident and prevalent in our communities and unfortunately captain john torres was not here for it he didn't care what they ultimately argued for second degree he wanted to make sure that this individual elijah sacaro cruz was going to be charged with deliberate first degree murder he did not believe that elijah had um, decided to take some crystal meth and got into an argument with his girlfriend and because she was gonna put him out so she could secure her own housing and maintain her own housing that he just snapped um based on that cell phone evidence right we had those crime scene analysts and forensic team who was going inside of the hillview chorus apartments and they were able to get a look at natalia's phone and even subpoena the phone records of elijah and what you could see two nights prior to the hateful homicide 48 hours to be exact was the couple arguing through text messages where Natalia was encouraging him to start looking for his own place um, or another space that he could stay with his good friend Antonio Santos um, she had even referenced him in one of the text messages where um, Elijah could go and stay and, and maybe at the very least what her goal was based on the text messages that she could try to talk to her social worker and even have him listed as um, like a sort of um, you know kind of support person for her who needed to be in the home almost like a sense of like an emotional support animal but um, an emotional support person and so there was an opportunity for her to do that but it was going to take time um, and so unfortunately based on those text messages between the two um, on April 21st up until April um, until the late night of April 22nd of 2021 they argued about that immensely um, they argued about that when he um, went in to do like a part-time shift for some construction um you you could see where he was calling her texting her really pleading to have somewhere to stay to maintain his housing um, and she was very sympathetic and was just trying to provide different options this seemed to infuriate him more his good friend antonio did recall that elijah called him um, 
just a few hours before the 911 call and talked about being frustrated. Um, Antonio did mention that he offered Elijah to come stay over with him in the mobile home park um, that he lived at, and Elijah um, didn't seem to be for it. And this just continued to upset him more and more. And so by that um, early morning hours, specifically around midnight on April 23rd of 2021, that Friday, Um, The two just argued intensely to where it ultimately led to him stabbing her. The question that Captain John Torres wanted to know, especially as he, you know, Maria Chavez, his attorney, did allow Captain John Torres to come back in and um, interview Elijah. And he wanted to know that um, because the the forensics team, the the coroner specifically, had noted that it seemed like that um, Natalia her injuries weren't instantaneously like that she had been there for a few hours prior to the 911 call and Elijah stuck to his story that the incident had just happened he immediately called um, but Captain John Torres feared that he had actually committed the hateful homicide several hours before the 2.30 a.m. phone call and didn't call law enforcement until he was sure that Natalia was no longer alive. This was a source of debate, again, going back into the meta, um, into the motive of first and second degree murder. The family continued to start to um, lay rest, uh, make arrangements for Natalia. They had um, created a GoFundMe. Her sister, Vanessa Singh, her best friend, Kiera Ogode, um, her grandmother, Dorothy Lopez, all of them had, um, ultimately was able to at least gain $10,000 because Natalia was a, a renowned local drag artist and um, did things like that. She didn't have health insurance or even life insurance. And so as we've seen very often in um, these cases where a community has been met with a hateful homicide, um, unless they are gainfully employed or unless they have age where the parents can um, support them and then also provide that health and life insurance, unfortunately, a lot of communities have to go with either GoFundMe and or um, potentially being cremated Um, and so her family wanted to lay her to rest and give her a a very beautiful burial and that is what they were able to do after raising money Um, but as they were going through this they just had to take a moment and really mourn the loss of Natalia Smetlopez. This is being planned for a transgender woman who was murdered in Milpitas. Now police say she was stabbed to death on April 23rd. KPIX 5's Devin Philly joins us with the story of how the young woman is being remembered. Devin? Yeah, Natalia was just 24 years old. Her family and friends are mourning the loss of the person. They're also mourning the loss of a lifetime of potential that will now never be realized. Family and friends say Natalia commanded a room like she commanded a stage. All eyes and attention drawn to her like a magnet. Natalia was beautiful. She had one of the biggest hearts that you can just ask for. And she would just light up a room as soon as she walked in. Vanessa Singh, Natalia's older sister, says she was a natural-born performer who earned a living as a dancer and drag queen. My sister loved to perform, because anywhere she could get on a stage and drag it out and rock it out, she would be there. But as proud as Natalia's friends and family are of how she lived, they are equally haunted by how she died, stabbed to death at the Hillview apartment complex in Milpitas, allegedly by her boyfriend, Elijah Cruz Segura. It hurts. I'm outraged. I'm disappointed. It makes me want to hurt harder, but or work harder. But um, there's always this sense of uh, trauma 
Sarah Fernando says the trans community is disproportionately affected by violence, sometimes by strangers and sometimes, apparently in Natalia's case, by intimate partners. The pain and loss is the same, she says, like a curtain falling on a stage, but there is still so much of the story left to be told. For Natalia, she was loved and cherished by this community because there's something about her spirit and her willingness to be authentic and individual that really shine. So, Devin, do we know the status of the victim's boyfriend, the alleged killer? Yeah, according to Milpitas police, he actually called 911 and reported this crime and his involvement in it, asking for help. He was arrested and arraigned last week and remains in custody. He does. All right. Devin Feely and Milpitas, thanks a lot. Funerals. And as you could hear my audience, the case has really just captured the hearts of the San Jose community. Natalia was beloved and adored, and as you can hear from trans activist Sarah Fernando, she was really determined to be the best that she could be. She was determined to live her best life, and that's what she did. She did that throughout her entire journey. She was proud of herself, again, born in December 27th of 1996. Um, she was inspirational. She was feisty and bubbly, uh, around five foot eight. The, the beautiful, tall, and just bubbly Natalia really allowed herself to just be authentic. Um, she hadn't really undergone a lot of gender-affirming surgeries, which was part of her truth, right? She loved her body as it was for herself. But she always inspired to hopefully someday, like, go through the process of being herself. And unfortunately, that never came to be. Natalia, who was just really inspirational in the sense that she worked with youth, um, especially like trans youth and transitional age youth. She would go back and perform, like um, provide like different drag course classes at different pride events. She would do makeup for our community, um, even like cis community too, like cis women, um, cisgender women would find themselves like wanting Natalia to like do their makeup and just make them feel even more beautiful. Um, she was really great on stage, like I said, performing to artists such as Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears. And all of this just continued to make her popular and lovable. And it also allowed her to be truly herself um, in a space where drag became a source of an outlet for her because she did grow up, you know, um, in a single family household and she was navigating life um, as a San Jose resident. She found herself very often um, in spaces where sometimes she wasn't affirmed and through her own sense of self-discovery and her own journey, she um, began to get into the, the artistry and love of drag. Um, she loved the culture, one of her favorite films that inspired her um, and just the confidence that was quoted was Paris is Burning, which came out in 1990. And it was a film really highlighting the New York um, queer and trans community, especially in the form of um, drag artistry. Seeing those incredible inspiring women, even as, you know, in the late 80s and early 90s, led Natalia to be even more empowered in her own truth in San Jose, California. So by the age of 16 and 2013, when she really began her truth, um, and this is going to be eight years prior to her hateful homicide, Natalia was really 
bodacious and just in her truth she had these vibrant hair colors that she would wear especially um, when it came to highlighting the the respect of her lgbtqia plus community she would wear rainbow color hair she would do rainbow color eyeshadow any way to show her pride through and through natalia would do it and all of this came from her love of the drag culture and the fact that it really gave her a sense of confidence in expressing herself and even an outlet for things that she went through such as bullying and name calling um, of course even though she had a very loving and affirming family not everyone in San Jose in the Milwaukee Pitas area was supportive and affirming and we have to remember to my audience as um, especially for um, trans identified women you know the physical structures can be very different and so if you don't necessarily look a certain way right these are things that can make you noticeable and sometimes while that can be a good thing it can also be a bad thing for those who don't necessarily affirm your truth unfortunately that was some of natalia's experience not all the time but she definitely went through that and that was part of her way of coping was through the love of drag i think what's interesting too as we continue to go through this case is that it's important to understand the culture of the drag history because of the fact that this was her primary line of work she was looking forward to auditioning she had already started her um, casting reel for rupaul's drag race for that um especially that 2022 season this was going to be really really important for her so because of the fact that she was so inspired by rupaul's drag race i think it's important for us to take a moment to understand the history, history, and the history of the drag culture and why it was so important to Natalia Smut Lopez. Treasures, we are the queens from RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, and we are about to take you through a brief history of drag culture. Oh, fabulous. Men have been dressing in what's considered women's clothes and vice versa for probably as long as human beings have been wearing clothes. But where did the term drag originate? The term drag was primarily used as a theater term to describe a man or woman who was dressed in clothing typically worn by the opposite sex. Before women were allowed to perform in theater, men played female parts, cross-dressing in women's clothes. It's thought that drag was chosen because it describes the action of long skirts dragging on the stage floor. Drag eventually made its way into American vaudeville shows in the late 19th, early 20th centuries. In 1911, Julian Eltinge, often referred to as the greatest female impersonator in theatrical history, won critical acclaim for his cross-dressing role in the play The Fascinating Widow. When homosexuality was outlawed, many decided it was safer to do their cross-dressing behind closed doors. But when prohibition rolled around, men found plenty of underground places popping up out of the sight of the law where they could drink booze, be openly homosexual, and of course, dress in drag. The rise of these underground gay bars where drag was commonplace was then known as the Pansy Craze. Yeah. The pansy craze continued to grow until in the 1950s and 60s, law enforcement cracked down on the members of the LGBT community, including us drag queens. Then, drag balls sprung into existence and became like many societies for drag queens everywhere. Drag queens could join up with local houses for moral support and shelter if they'd been thrown out of their own homes. By July 1966, there were an estimated 500 open and regularly performing drag queens in the United States. Now, something tells me that number's probably bigger, but you know, we don't be on too many registries. Mother Flawless Sabrina, R.I.P., 
was a leader for the transgender and gay communities and one of the first widely known drag queens in the United States. She organized multiple drag queen pageants across the United States, was arrested numerous times, and even appeared in drag on several talk shows, which was groundbreaking for the time. In the 1950s and 60s, drag queens began to protest unfair police treatment. These efforts came to a head with the famous Stonewall Riots, which lasted six days and are believed to have begun the modern gay rights movement in the United States. Barry Humphreys, Dame Edna Everidge, housewife and superstar character, rose to fame, first in the United Kingdom and then across the world. In 1972, indie filmmaker John Waters made drag friend Divine the star of his film Pink Flamingos. And Divine, who is iconic, if you don't know her, you better look her up, she soon became a counterculture icon. In 1975, Tim Curry famously played Dr. Frank Inverter in the cult movie classic The Rocky Horror Picture Show. The 80s gave rise to the trend of pop music stars dressing in full or semi-drag, including Philip Oakey, Pete Burns, and Boy George. In 1985, the New York Drag Festival known as Wigstock was founded by drag queen legend Lady Bunny, known for her signature insanely large blonde wigs. In 1988, Divine famously starred as Tracy's mother in the movie musical Hairspray. And to this day, it's been a tradition that a male in drag plays that part. 1980s drag ball culture is also where the phrase yes or yes queen caught on and became more widely used outside the drag community. In 1990, Jenny Livingston released her documentary Paris is Burning, which offered an in-depth look at what it took to become a drag queen in Harlem's predominantly African-American drag ball culture. The 90s kicked off a new era of drag and pop culture. It saw the rise of many drag queens in film, television, and theater, including Coco Peru, Hedda Lettuce, Misunderstood, Candace Kane, and Joey Arias. RuPaul, the most famous and influential drag queen in history, is largely credited for bringing drag into mainstream popular culture. His reign began in the 1990s with his hit 1994 song, Supermodel, You Better Work. In 1996, RuPaul got his own talk variety show on VH1, The RuPaul Show, which ran for 100 episodes. RuPaul, the drag mother of all drag queens, paved the way for prominent drag and popular culture in the 2000s and beyond. Honey, if it weren't for RuPaul, I wouldn't be here. RuPaul's Drag Race, created in 2009, I was very young then, now gives a national platform for up-and-coming drag queen performers everywhere to earn their spots as top influencers in the community. The show has taken home numerous awards, including not one, but two Primetime Emmy Awards for Outstanding Host for Reality or Reality Competition Program. <laughs> How about that? And that's why we are here right now. See, now I hope you learned a thing or two about drag culture. And now that you got all that knowledge in your noggins, go forth and bring it into the world. So that is a little bit about the history, her history, and their history of our drag culture. And one of the reasons why Natalia Smut Lopez, my audience, love, love, love performing. As we prepare to conclude this case, you know, I want to wrap up with the ultimate findings and the results of the hateful homicide from Natalia Smith Lopez. Elijah Zagardo Cruz was ultimately charged with second-degree murder, and he is still 
still awaiting trial, which is scheduled to occur around October 2023. He pled not guilty um, to first-degree murder, um, and right now his attorney, Maria Chavez, is arguing second-degree um, due to mental defect and or disease. I will keep you all updated and apprised as this case continues, but ultimately we have his confession. We have the cell phone records proving that he and Natalia were arguing about the fact that he was going to be um, removed from the home. We have his best friend who stated that he had admitted to taking drugs and that he was angry and blacked out and was angry at Natalia. And all of this ultimately led to that vicious and attack and a senseless slaying in San Jose on that Friday morning of April 23rd, 2021, just around 2.30 a.m. when he placed that 911 call. Captain John Torres has reflected on this case and he stated that it was one of the most heinous and vicious cases um, and crime scenes that he had walked into to see a partner um, and he's been into many crime scenes of intimate partner violence, but to see someone standing there um, covered in the victim's blood, as well as the weapon covered, and then just seeing the victim um, in the way that she was, still haunts him to this day. Captain John Torres talked about the fact that he too had a daughter that was near the age of Natalia Smut Lopez and how it was very um, traumatic for him and that since then he has also encouraged other young women to stay safe and be mindful of intimate partners. So my audience, as we remember our beautiful Afro-Latina trans sister with this renowned bubbly personality and connection to the drag community, I want to say Natalia Smut Lopez, we remember you, born December 27th, 1996, and resting on since April 23rd of 2021. We remember you yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever, and always. Thank you all so much, my audience, for tuning in to season four, episode eight of A Hateful Homicide, A Senseless Slaying in San Jose, the murder of Natalia Smut Lopez. My name is Mallory Jenna Robinson, your host. Thank you all for tuning back in after our two-week mid-season break. And we will um, slowly but surely continue to um, wrap up this season um, as we have about five more episodes left. So please enjoy the rest of your day. And let's continue to remember our fallen community. And 2021, Natalia was the 16th person who was murdered simply due to their gender identity. And I'm hoping now, as we prepare to go into two years later since her hateful homicide, that we continue to realize that these numbers must decrease and to continue to do our part by raising awareness. Check out our website, follow us on social media at A Hateful Homicide, that's Instagram and Facebook. And then you can also please, please, please continue to use the hashtags A Hateful Homicide, Trans Awareness, True Crime, Suspenseful Saturdays, and Say Her Name. Please enjoy the rest of your day, and I look forward to connecting with you all again next week at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Thank you, and bye-bye.